Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Good afternoon, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and children of all ages to the Blunt Force Gamers podcast where we are going to tell stories today about story time in your role-playing game. All that jazz, fun in the hole above. Hope you're having fun in your living room, or if you're back at work, having fun there. It is I, of course, Game Goblin, joined with... Kazarkand, the Lord Dragon. And... Darth Blasphemous, hail to the dark side. Moniker's not here because he's still, um... Doing the social distancing thing and still kind of isolation. Understandable for his situation. Totally. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, wait. We already rolled the intro at the beginning now. Derp. <laughs> Derp. We j- Change in format, people. Yeah, we can get right into this. So, I brought up the thing because I've been doing a lot of reading uh, about game stuff. I'm trying to rewrite my game world to make it work with the rules and changes that have had to be made. From the original concept, because it has deviated by a couple degrees from Kevin Bacon. So, this topic of story has been on my mind a lot, and since both of you are my senior GMs, I figured we'd bat this ball about, as it were. Uh, story, uh, do we want to go super uh, fucking fixed, like a module where it has to be and must be, or are we going free form, which I've seen gone horribly awry? Well, but, back in my day, young fancy smashy whippersnapper, we didn't need none of them fancy modulometers, or we didn't need to do free roam. We just showed up, rolled up characters, and stared at each other for four hours, and went home. And we liked it that way! <laughs> just... okay. <laughs> um, okay, since I'm the oldest here, I'll start off first. I'm the oldest? Yes! I have been in some modules that have been even worse than the worst freeform I've been in. Kingmaker. <laughs> no, Kingmaker, I will give a... Kingmaker's a 50-50. Okay, a great in concept. If used as a guidebook, it's better than what it could be. But if you use it as a pure module the way it's supposed to be, it just doesn't work. It's like a Bethesda game. Yeah. It just works. No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> no, no, like, uh, one of the first modules I got into was at the local game store back in the day, which was uh, Great Escape Games, who actually had a logo of a big fucking dragon on their window. Yay, whoop de doo because, you know, can't have a game store without dragons. And I was playing a paladin. Okay. A paladin. Yes, from so, Goblin, that's a so, thing. Yeah, let that sink in for a moment, guys, because these guys know when I play a paladin, something's wrong. I'm playing a paladin who's lawful good, obeys the law, tries to inspire people, pretty much Captain Hero without the dick maneuver stuff going on the side. What do you do, lose a bet? <laughs> I wanted to try something new. That's part of what role-playing is about, trying new things. Unfortunately, while trying this new thing... At a game store, people make noise outside of the game room and it distracts from attention. I was distracted during a certain point in the module where the NPC specifically says, 
You cannot buy weapons between noon and 7 p.m. within city limits. I bought a new sword. It was made of a better material than what I start with. This is Dark Sun, so having something more than a wooden sword is good. Immediately the guards pounce on me. They're like, hey, you bought a weapon between noon and 7 p.m. You're going to be taken in the court. Again, Dark Sun, horrible world. I am going to die. So I think about it. I'm sitting there and I'm playing my character and I'm like, well, if I renege on my word, then my god will no longer favor me. And I won't be a paladin no more. And I'll go to some horrible afterlife where I'll be boiled alive as a form of entertainment. Or I can own up tell the truth, not lose favor in the eyes of my god, and ascend to the afterlife to be a lesson to other paladins that, hey, pay attention. So I decided to take the path of sainthood, hold out both my arms, and I'm like, alright, you've caught me, I'm under arrest. I'm willing to go, and they're like, well, we're going to take away your weapons, and the GM is specifically trying to get me to do anything I can to not get arrested. So apparently a paladin was a bad choice because the choice at that point is when the guards approach you, the player characters are supposed to run. So even though I'm playing my character, the way they're supposed to be by the book, rules as written, it did not work with Dark Sun. We've had other instances with modules where they are railroady. Uh, we had one guy who was a undead slayer. And he got into an argument with the GM because he wanted to kill some skeletons. The GM is like, well, you're not going to get XP for the skeletons. And the guy's like, I don't care. They're undead. I have to kill them. It's part of my oath. Yeah, this went back and forth for about 30 minutes before the GM was finally like, all right, take a swing. You hit them, they're dead. And the player's like, well, that's what I wanted. Okay. We're done. Moving along. Uh, but apparently, you know, nobody had written anything in the module about the skeletons actually having attack values or anything. So it was just a free kill. No XP. Uh, I have been in some modules where this has been pretty much par of the course. And, like, somebody had to bring up Kingmaker. Dun, dun. Rules as written, Kingmaker is great in concept, terrible in execution. I just... I... My brain hurts when I try to think of that game. It just... Great. Like, when I thumb through it the first time, I'm like, this is awesome because it's got that free realm, free roam motif to it. But the players can still move outside that and still do things within the module that are pre-scheduled to happen under certain events and auspices. I, I, I like free roam games. But yeah, some of them... Some of them are bad. And it's not always the game that's bad. Sometimes it's the GM. And sometimes it... Well, most of the time it's the fucking writing. I mean... Like Goblin said, Kingmaker was a... Uh, it was a fun idea. But, like... Goblin's let me take a look at his copy of Kingmaker. And I'm like... How in the fuck does anybody glean anything out of this? Like, I can read through, you know, a core book, like Pathfinder's core book, and be pretty alright. I can parse out most of it, and then for a couple of specific things, I can go, hey, GM or person who plays this, can you help me break this down, this particular little bit? 
right? It's it's a clarification question more than it is a what is this Greek sort of question. And I very much got that what is this Greek vibe from the Kingmaker book. It was bad. Like I said, a great in concept, terrible in execution, and Kingmaker actually had one of the things in there that I look for in a game, uh, especially a module game that I'm buying beforehand. And the thing was, players will always do the stupidest, craziest, off-the-wall, least-expected shit. Kingmaker actually allowed for some of this. They want to take over uh, Oleg's uh, little area of buying and selling. They want to take over his trading corner. There's actually a way they can do this within the rules of the module. They want to kill X NPC because they don't like him. There's rules in the module. They can do this. So we, I expect, you know, if they let him live, if they let him die, you know, usually it's a black and white question answer thing going on with most NPCs. They actually had that in Kingmaker for the most part. When something happened, like there was one NPC uh, the last time I ran it. I believe it was you guys, actually. Yep. Uh-huh. And you killed a specific NPC who's actually one of the best people to have on your team. When you actually get to the whole, I'm building a kingdom stuff, the dude was totally agreeable. Like, right off the bat, all you had to do was initiate uh, dialogue with him, and he'd basically just pack his stuff up and move into your camp. And by the stats and number values, he was one of the best people to have on your side. And you guys just run up and mollywop the dude. I there are actually like... rules for what happens if you mollywop it. <laughs> and it's like, in, in like when you're reading the, the paragraphs and stuff, at the very bottom it's like, well, if the players decide to kill so-and-so, these are the events that will transpire. So it actually had something in there for this. But it was like half a paragraph and all the stuff before that was like, how great this guy is and how much the players should want this guy to live. No, you guys walk in there and you're like, he's not. He's made of XP wearing armor. All we gotta do is beat his AC and we're getting XP. So, that's one of the things that drew me towards Kingmaker is it actually had that opening for when players do stupid shit. And that's why I like to run free roam games. Uh, for the most part, there is strategy and planning and roadmaps and stuff inside the way I do games. I like these because, again, players are going to do something stupid, and if you just have a roadmap, not everything is set in hard lines, once again, when a player goes, well, I'm going to go stab the Duke, you're like, okay, well, this is going to change the roadmap further down the line, especially on the political scale, but there's no hard rule in there that says the players cannot go stab the Duke. Right, you know, And one of the ones that actually gets me on this one... And the player, the, the GM totally let me play this character. Uh, I was playing in Pathfinder not too long ago, about five years ago. And my character was a warship of the Death Goddess, the not nice one, the evil one. I was playing yet another evil little halfling doing evil little halfling shit. <laughs> and it turned out that the MacGuffin in the module was a holy book dedicated to my goddess. So I spent most of the time in the module. I'm trying to balance because you know I I've 
matured a little bit while gaming. I got to the point a little bit. So I was not expressly trying to stab the other players in the back of the neck to get a hold of this book, but I was still doing anything I could. And I was willing to work with the GM on this one because the ones who were trying to steal the book from us were uh, were worshippers of Zon Kuthon, who is a rival god to our goddess. They're even though they're both evil gods, they are enemies of one another. I even went to the GM and I was like, "Hey, I found in the rule set why my character would be so adamant about protecting this book up until a point, and that is because the big bad evil guys of this module are enemies of my religion. So I'm going to try to protect the book. I'm going to." you know, transport the book and all that. But if the module has even one slight loophole in it that comes up during gameplay where I can steal the book from the other player characters and run, I will. I'm just saying I'm going to work with you up until that opening presents itself. So don't let that opening show itself or I will take advantage of it in character. But once again, this is me making a character and maybe the GM, you know, he should have paid more attention by reading the module a little bit more than he did. Maybe that's the case. He still let me play. You know, he's still really cool about it. But the problem with modules is they are so goddamn railroady that unless the GM is like fluent with every little nuance of the book, something could get through. Uh, say uh, I'm doing a game and the big bad evil guy isn't wood elves, but they're using wood elves as minions and messengers. And one of my players has a concept for a wood elf archer, and I just space it out and allow them to come into the party. I have inadvertently introduced a big bad problem in my game because suddenly the NPCs will be looking at player character as if they're working for the enemy. So you gotta be really fluent. And if you're doing a freeform game, you can just be like, oh, did I say wood elves? I'm sorry, I meant river elves. Because that's a thing. Because that's a thing. You could just swap over. They're desert elves, or they're um, kind of permafrost elves, or Tyaga elves, or gully elves, or canyon elves. I really love a race that's divided by the geographical location that they choose to live. Oh, they're dark elves. That means they live underground. They're high elves. That means they live in the mountains. They're forest elves. Fuck. Still, regardless, the point is... I could just swap out one geographic thing for another and be like, oh, uh, yeah, well, the player can still play that forest elf concept he wants, but we're just switching the elf type in oh, my fire. game settings so things will, you know, still run smoothly and everybody can have fun. Yes, because Oops. every member of that race always does exactly what one of them agrees to do. That, dude, that's D&D rule number 101. Right. E.G. Like, let's look. All Dark Elves, unless their first name starts with the letter D and they're mopey through half the fucking book, are bad people. Mm. Yep. All of them. All dwarves have a Scottish accent and live underground. Unless they're gully dwarves. But nobody cares about them. All kinder are thieves. Stereotypes exist for a reason. Mm. Nope. But I'm just saying, yeah. Goblins are all expendable. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we. If you go into my work area, uh, as of the last couple of weeks, yeah, you'll see how fucking disposable I am. I'm surprised I haven't been laid off twice in one sitting. Just saying. Yeah. 
you know, like, oh, hey, goblin, you're laid off. We're going to walk you to the, door, to the door, get your stuff. And, like, right before I get to the door, they'll be like, um, you're laid off. And I'm like, you already laid me off. And they're like, no, we're laying you off again while laying you off. That's how, how that's how disposable I am working metal. Yeah. <laughs> so, to, to wrap up my rant here, because I know I'm dominating the mic a lot, and I'm going to pass this along after another quick aside... And this is some advice for GMs out there, if any are listening, is to blend both of these together. Por que no los dos? Uh, how I do this when I'm coming up with a story is I come up with basically, you know, your bell curve, the beginning, middle, and end. And I add goalposts in between those. So the beginning, of course, is the characters all meet each other by whatever event that happens to be required. Whether they're summoned by a lord or a lady... There's a tournament, an invasion, a war taking place. Whatever event kicks this off is my beginning. This is where the player characters come together. And this is where I also introduce perhaps a lead to... Not, I don't always present the, the main villain at this point. It is standard storytelling to present the main foil. But I will also at sometimes present a lesser foil who leads up to the main villain. So they kill this guy, they think, aha, we're all done. Yeah, they might be a tin foil. A tin foil, yes. <laughs> so they might actually get rid of the big bad evil guy only to realize that this dude is just a minion. Or, you know, the minion is attached to somebody else who's actually not as bad. Maybe they're worse. You don't know. That's, that's the whole point of the storytelling is to introduce multiple villains sometimes just to keep people off guard. But to get to from this point to the middle point, there's goalposts. So the players, you know, they meet up at one point. There's a bunch of goalposts that get them. And these, these, this is when I throw out the adventure hooks, the goalposts, really. Like the, the clues and the nuggets to get the group continually going forward through the storyline. Then they get to the middle of the storyline where this is, you know, the, the drum up to the massive conclusion. You know, the, the, the characters are pretty much near the height of their power in the storyline at this point, usually. And this is just before they go in for the big bad evil guy battle kill. Thank and then you. they go past that and there's a few more goalposts which are wrapping up or taking care of personal quests. Uh, usually this is the shortest part of the storyline in most cases. This is also where I can introduce story hooks for another campaign, if need be, for the same characters. So part of these goalposts here also is one of them is going to be like a major goalpost. Uh, story point to the next campaign. So, we're, you know, between point two and three in game one, I'm already establishing point one for game two. So, you, you, that, that's a great time to set that up. And then, of course, if the group is awesome enough, and I've only had this happen like twice, it's rare, but it's awesome when it happens for everybody involved, is we have the story ending, and part of the uh, coolness of this is you actually get closure to not only the story, but the character's adventure. You know, it's, it's like the last page in a book, you finally get closure. Most D&D games is like reading three-fourths of the way through the book before getting distracted. That's part of the problem with open play gaming. Is open play gaming, usually the GM doesn't have this last goalpost in mind, or he has them in mind, but, you know, things are so wibbly-nibbly or shit happens, and the game falls apart before then, nobody gets closure. A module, when you buy a module, no matter what, even if it's a six-book series or a one-book series or one of those little pocket guides, has closure printed on the last page. 
So when somebody plays a module, they get the guarantee that there is an end to the adventure. There is an actual, you know, what am I going to get at the end of the adventure? Oh, I'm going to get some titles and some land and some gold and marry the princess. Yay! Or prince if they're a female player, whatever. Or prince if they're a gay player. They're going to get married. They're going to have fun. But what I'm saying is marry... Ah, not Mary Sue. Mary Sue. Not related to Ray Palpatine. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying that a little bit of free form, practicing improv, and when you do your story building, you know, build it as a bunch of road posts. You know, basically mile markers. You want to be at this mile marker by this game session. Find a way to make it happen without slowing the game down too much with combat or storyline, and you can get there. It, it takes some practice, it takes some time, but between highly rigid games and freeform games, there is a comfortable medium, and it's up to the GM to find this medium by knowing the personalities of not only his players, but his player characters' quips and quirks. Okay, I'm going to give up the mic now because I'm, I'm just going along way too long. Um... Alright, Kaz, so you've got a lot of gaming experience, and we're currently in two games together. Uh, what's your take on structured or unstructured? So, within reason, structured has its place. Like, if the game, the, the module, the DM, is introducing some specific concept, again, consistency is king, but having, to, having a clear-cut system for that sort of thing can be useful. Now, on the story side, like, the roadmap, as Goblin was using, road posts, is a very clever idea. I like that. As for seeing times it's gone awry, it's... I'm rambling. Sorry. Yes, you are. Uh, well, I was just thinking about making a video game called Furry Hunter 5. <laughs> so just keep going along, because I'm getting visuals in my head of like furries being blown apart, cartoon style. I was counting in between the gaps of your speech, and Jesus, we're going to save like five minutes on this episode. Nope, because I'm going to do a filth edit. Oh, lovely. I have a computer to repair, so my time is short this weekend. True enough, true enough. Anyway, um, having a general concept, I think, is what... A good GM is capable of, and also capable of reacting when the players invariably do something they aren't expecting. And having, you know, three or four main branch points is okay, but if you start getting a, like more detailed than that, you're over planning and you're killing yourself for no goddamn reason. Um, is this in regards to a certain vampire game I wrote a while ago? Uh, it well, is not actually, okay. but it does. It, it does. It's a very good example of it. That that is a good example that of over planning a freeform game. Yes, because I did a personal storyline quest for everybody in the group, plus the main storyline quest, plus uh, alternate storylines that were taking place while the core storyline was going on. There were so many fucking webs in that spider's nest. All I learned from that game really was be super careful when you curate your gaming group. <laughs> yeah. There was that, yes. Yes. No, I was actually referring to uh, the roommate, the um, 
the one whose no thermal paste you now possess. Oh, okay, yeah. He had done a... Like, he had made himself a flowchart and kept it as his DM notes, right? If this, then this. If the, if the DM, if the PCs do this, this is the route the story can evolve, right? Full flowchart, which was, I think, two pages deep. And therein was the problem, is he was just, and like, and then we pick, you know, the three options that weren't planned for. And like, he's like, yeah. well, fuck! That's, all of this is useless now! Well, that's like I told you at the very beginning, uh, players will always do the stupidest shit you don't expect. Exactly! And that's... <clears throat> so, I got to see that over-planning happen. And I've also seen GMs who were like, fuck it, sell it. Okay? Well, Alright, I like this concept. We're gonna run with this. Go. It's also part of the GMing process is a GM and no matter how old you get, I've been doing GMing for a long time and it's one of the things that I keep close uh, at heart in that black little crypt of charcoal in my chest. Uh, one of the things I do keep in, them, in mind is that when players are, you know, doing stuff... That I have to, if, if I want a specific goalpost, I want them to get to this goalpost. So I want, from the initial battle, I want the player characters to go to a specific kingdom. If I want this to happen, I have to make it look, I have to basically give my group the illusion of choice. Or at least make it the better choice. Uh, you know, because they could go, oh, this kingdom or that kingdom. And the group is leaning really towards... Kingdom B, which I have nothing planned for, and in fact I want them to go to Kingdom A in the storyline, I have to give them specific information or jury-rig the events. I have to steer them towards A without railroading them. So a flowchart is actually a great idea for the man who provided the thermal paste uh, for my PC rebuild. I won't mention your name, sir, but thank you for the creamy goodness that will be all over my hands and face later. Anyhow, give it to you and wait. Go bag. Hey, you know what? We, we can just cut this section out, add some music, and I'll send it off to him as a thank you note. You know, <laughs> we can always do that. But what I'm saying is, when a GM wants a specific uh, thing to happen, and a flowchart is actually a wonderful idea. That's a very good way to go about it. Uh, if I want my characters to go between the options of the flowchart, say the flowchart goes. And I'm three pages in, and now they've got four choices that they're going to go to, and the story can veer off from those four choices, which is a lot of branches. Anything more than two is a lot of branches, but I've got four choices here. You know, oh, they can join the Minutemen, they can join the Institute, they can join the Railroad, or they can join the Brotherhood of Steel. You know, I've got four choices here. That's how the game ends. God damn it, I always join the Institution anyway. But that's personal. Anyway, there's four choices here, and my group suddenly wants to take choice number five, and for some strange reason, they think Yes Man is in the game, and they can take over Las Vegas, and I'm like, but we're playing in Baltimore. And they're like, no, no, we're going to take choice number five. We're going to go with Yes Man. <laughs> then I have failed my flowchart at this point, right? Right. Because they're trying to pull in New Vegas shit into my Fallout 4 game. So what I have to do is I, have, and it's a practice skill, and no GM 
ever gets perfect at it, no matter how hard. Now, like, I'm, I was just the bicycle I was trying to get to earlier. No matter how long a GM is running games, there's always more to learn. And at this point, this is going to be a learning situation for me because, yes, I have this structure. That's the question. Are you know, structure versus freeform? This is a structure, this flowchart. But at the same time, the flowchart allows for my group to make choices. So this is a bit freeform too. It's that middle ground road we're going for. I have to steer them uh, towards where I want the structure to go. So I want it to go towards these four choices, not Yes Man in Vegas. I don't want them killing Mr. House. That's a wrong game over there. But I want them to take one of these four choices. So I have to steer my party towards those four choices. And steer is the operative word here because if I go, well, these are your four choices. You can only join the Minutemen, the Railroad, uh, Bob's Burgers, or the Simpsons. These are your only four choices. Then I'm railroading. But if I bring it in, you know, like ex-NPC walks in and says, hey, you know what? The people I represent want to make you guys a deal. Now I'm throwing in-game financial incentive at the group because... Suddenly, NPC of power is interested in the party. That puts this choice back on the table. Especially if one of the people on the uh, in the game group, more than one, sees this and they're like, you know, we have been low on resources of this specific type for a while. Taking that choice isn't that bad of a choice. In fact, it's better than going with Yes Man. So I'm giving my group a choice, but at the same time, I'm reinitializing the structure I've already written down. It's a fine line to walk, I will tell you that. Uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I'm i a little bit more blunt about it. So my storyline that I run on my C-team, which I really wish Moniker was here to back me up on this, but I run a bit of a free form, I have missions built, and literally this is all I write on the mission page. A cool title to differentiate it from all the other missions so I can pick it up at a glance. A list of at least 20 people that have names and jobs. The synopsis of what's really going on, uh, a couple snippets that I can give them, and then I just ad hoc the rest because it really has to flow because I've got to go with whatever fucking option 99 they choose, even if I only made 50, they're taking option 99. So I've taken the goalpost thing and bare bones that in my stories but then I go and write an actual structured this is what's going on in reality and I give them enough of that when they make checks or talk to people or if they want to make connections and after talking with my game group about how we're going to get back together when this is all over when our military guys are back and not stuck on base for fucking ever and how it's going to go and they're really excited because this is a world that they're contributing to, but I do have an actual story that they're going to have to get back to. You know, the story's going to happen regardless if they take option, you know, 44 or fucking 99 or 1002. The story world's going to progress. It's how they react to what's going on that they either choose not to be part of or they can react to it. Yeah, I've, I've also done that in some other games. Like, I've done the red herring thing and the news thing in a couple of games, just like you, what you're doing. The story is going to continue whether the players get involved or not. Mm -hmm. And I would do this like, um, I was running one game years ago, 
And it was completely, you gotta be careful with this too. Uh, in some cases, it was actually hilarious the way it all ended, but the player characters are actually hunting on the college grounds. They're vampires and they're going to the local university to get some food and stuff. And they notice that there's a lack of other vampires who have claim on this. They find out that it's basically uh, an open air buffet. Right? The, the, the prince is like, you know, it's open air, we're punishing the guy who's claimed dominion over that uh, section of town. He's taken a bit too much, so he has to share his uh, food with everybody else, basically. So the player characters being vampires are like, holy crap, we can go, you know, to the drive-thru anytime we need, so it makes the player characters more combat ready. A complete oops on my end, but it was still funny because when I was pre-writing everything out, one of the college professors was going to get busted for sexual misconduct with a bunch of students. They're basically trying to start a cult. On one hand, it was awesome because the player characters actually linked their group to the professor by who they were feeding on. And they were like, oh my god, is, is somebody attacking us? Because they thought another a rival vampire was actually trying to dominate or use the vampiric dominate power to mind wipe the professor... To, um, to get the professor to start a cult so the vampire player characters would feed off the cult members and then once it got all exposed that they would be the bad guys that would take the fall. And they just ran with it. And I'm like, what the fuck? It's just some random dude abusing his power. But on one hand, it sucked because it totally steamrolled any plans I had. Mm -hmm. this, this was just an event that was going to take place in the world regardless of what the player characters do. Car accidents happen regardless of what the player characters do. Um, medical supplies, you know, wind up to be tainted by accident, maybe at a blood bank. It happens. Bad things just do stuff. And this happened to be really close to home, and I didn't even plan for this. The player characters just started munching down on the stuff, and they put... I, I had scripted that... The, the three events, the player characters doing their thing, the vampire uh, screwing up and pissing off the prince so he had to share his uh, resources with the rest of the vampires, and the professor. Com three completely unrelated events. Now, now there's a web. Now there's a web. On one hand, this was all scripted out. On the other hand, it was freeform as fuck. Once the player characters started going, oh my god, you know, the rogue vampire... I actually did. I scripted in a rogue vampire who was actually like trying to corrupt the professor, to corrupt student, to corrupt the students, so he could get to the player characters and poison them through the blood supply because they had killed like one of his friends previously. So I did. I worked this into the game. But on the other hand, your player characters when they get back to the D and D game, I'm just warning you right now, something could happen, and say Crixus flies off the fucking handle thinking that they are all personally responsible for something unrelated 300 miles away. Well, you know, they do have this nice airship they had to go out of country to go pick up. Maybe when they get back, they might discover something. Yeah, it's, um... But mind you, they're still three years in the past from when my other group uh, started. So they've got a little bit of time before they've got to actually pick up and start gathering MacGuffins. Well, if you want to have fun with them... This airship that they picked up is it, 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 what gives it buoyancy is this little gas called hydrogen. <laughs> All you need now is a little baby. <laughs> just, just saying. <sighs> Give it a cool name like Heiselberg. 
No, they actually legitimately, through saving all of their goodies and treasures, bought a fucking flying boat. Not a fucking hot air balloon with a boat on the bottom. No, they bought an actual ship that's got fucking drop things, it requires a crew, then decided to spend more of their money to build a fucking town to house the fucking ship. So they're now also creating an economy and decided to go management palooza fucking, you know, ty uh, warehouse tycoon on their own. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. And this, this is, is completely nowhere near the script that you already have written down, I know. Yeah, you've seen the script. Yeah, this is nowhere near that. <laughs> I, I expected them to maybe buy some really badass horses and keep traveling in a wagon, but no. They're building a fortress around a basically teleportation portal that takes them to a base that's in a whole nother dimension. Well, actually, it's in several dimensions. Because teleportation circles between worlds are fun. No, the, the fun part is, like, your story in regards to what's going on. Your story is like Connect Four. You know the pieces are going to be put into the little sliders, no matter what. Eventually, at some point, four is going to be connected. Game is over. It's all pretty much random between the start and the middle. Mm -hmm. I mean, the start and the end. There's a lot of randomness in it, but eventually, those four points will connect, and everything is done. Story is complete. Yay! And it's been fun. Everybody, you know, had a fun time. You know, like out maneuvering each other. The game as it stands now. Has turned into Ark Survival Evolved. <laughs> we went from Connect Four to Ark Survival. Yeah. Yes. Now they're building villages and taking care of massive amounts of NPCs and managing resources left and right. Oh, and also everyone has agreed to take leadership. Oh, great. Everyone. Apparently. Oh, that's going to be so fun to balance. Le leadership actually, ironically, ironically. Uh, factors into our today's topic. The leadership feat is scripted. Mm -hmm. Based on your charisma skill and certain variables, you know, do you have a permanent base? Do you travel? Do you have weird powers? Based on a bunch of variables. Have you gotten a bunch of people killed before? Have you gotten people killed before? Only my own party members, and they deserved it. Anyway, the unscripted part is... You know, who controls the actual NPCs with the leadership score? Who writes down, you know, they, they have 130 level zero followers. Who writes the name of all 130 of those level zero followers? Who categorizes all of that? There's a lot of micromanaging to do if you get into the nuts and bolts of the leadership feat. And in a strange sort of way, depending on different factors. I mean, like if the player's mature, they're not going to abuse it, or they want to go for a very specific route, like the way the route of wizard's going to go versus the route of rogue is going to go are radically divergent. But depending on variable factors, this is almost like once you take the leadership feat, you have a second storyteller at the game. Yeah. You you're, you're, you got your little miniature dungeon master. The player character is now a micromanaging dungeon master. It's creepy yeah. weird. <laughs> Gameception. But now, a caveat to make it more manageable. If they're all deciding to take the leadership feat. I said, alright, but your direct follower has to be someone directly connected with the ship. Because then you can, quote-unquote, divide the party, have the actual party go down as the away team, and all their followers are running the ship. That's actually a very fair way to do it. 
Yeah. Uh, we did one where everybody in the group took the leadership feat, and their primary follower was actually their backup character. Which, okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, like, if my main character, my rogue, dies and I want to play a sorcerer, I've got my backup character already established in the game world, so we can just hop from one right to the other. And if there's a total party wipe with the primary group, we have a secondary B team to just jump right in mm -hmm. with almost no problems whatsoever. And it was actually a lot of fun to a point. And one of the best things, too, is, like, the GM wanted to run a side campaign... And he's like, well, while the main characters are running off, you guys get a message, but since the main characters are gone, they can't take care of it. But you can. Your adventure is in training. Yep. So our, you know, our, our B team, which is all a bunch of level sixes, just ran off on their own adventure. <laughs> you know, we had to explain it to our primary characters as to, you know, why we weren't at camp when they got back. But, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we got a message from the king. And they're like, okay, cool. Because, you know, of course, player characters are going to forgive their own characters. Right. Yeah, leadership is a fun feat when done right. Mm-hmm. And a horrifying one if done wrong. And terabad if done wrong. Yeah, you're right. I think that's true of any kind of leadership. Mm -hmm. Disregarding whether or not it's feat or not. Uh... I mean, that's definitely a fun way of doing the storyline is allowing the PCs to make these kind of choices about taking leadership or build a fucking town they, they turned into a better version of Kingmaker basically because <laughs> you learned what Kingmaker did wrong I'm also learning what War for the Crown does wrong <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ I mean fuck social combat social combat isn't the fucking problem it's all about keeping people engaged yeah how many times have we had people they go mute and they're over there playing fucking Fallout or fucking uh, Doom Eternal fucking doing something else. Uh-huh, I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that... You're not listening. I, I would just fucking hang up on him. Right. But that's one reason why I don't like playing games over the computer. I'm an IRL guy. But from seeing all this stuff of how engaging things have to be, when you allow that free form to just flow with your players it lets them just get super invested to the point where I have these guys outside of game coming up with a name for their group since they're, they've achieved this level of we're an actual legitimate adventuring party they're coming up with a crest they're coming up with town names of what they want the place to be called they've got ideas of they want some you know a an army of brewers who are going to make the best fucking beer in the entire region. <laughs> like, this is the shit that they have just up and decided to do in-game without any prompt from me. They're literally just letting me know. Hey, we're doing these cool things. There you know. You know, they, they've started their own stories within the game of, oh, well, I know these guys from when I traveled into the original thing for all our people to meet up at, and now I'm just going to fucking have this band of uh, travelers since we're like a day's travel away from the main crossroads town. Whenever they come through, they can hang out here and they'll be like our fucking buddies and the, we can give them jobs as town guard. Shit like that. They are just coming up and living the story whether or not I'm GMing it right And this now. is a point when I, as a game master, would be like, cool, this, this is awesome. You guys are super invested in this world. You're making shit up. You're adding to the game world that I'm building. 
you know, if this is an LWC, a Living World campaign, that means future players will be experiencing the stuff you're building in this campaign. But these town guardsmen, these buddies, these friends of yours, actually most of them have just been recently murdered by a band of traveling adventurers. Mm -hmm. uh, they were only hired to kill some rats, but they just came in and raped and reaved everything they could and killed off a bunch of your buddies. Um, you're no longer player characters. You're now NPCs because you're adding to the game world. <laughs> and the new player characters are taking apart all of your hard work. That's what it feels like to be a GM. Suck it! <laughs> I and mean, really the best part is these guys have not become murder hobos. The one murder hobo we had in the group we asked to leave. And it wasn't just me, it was the rest of the group. You know, that's you've managed to to select a very narrow band of people to do that. And that's awesome. And that like, that's just the thing. They're not like, "Oh, well we're going to strip everything they have." No, it's like, "All right, I'm going to find stuff useful in my mission." And yes, I have to keep going back to I set the rule from the beginning of the thing that you guys are basically federal agents who are deployed out to this new region. You're setting up a field office. Oh yeah, there was that one guy who kept trying to um, abuse his power. Mm -hmm. It was basically like uh, Mulder in the X-Files, but then he wanted to go in and just like take all the alien toys for himself kind of shit. Or yep. Yeah. What a douche nozzle. Yep. That's Beat him with a rubber hose. That's what I say. Well, you know, some people have an idea of how they want a game, and definitely having a structured story is a, a good way to go to find these people out and say, hey, you can either game the way we're going to play this, or you can peace out. Yes, that is an ice cream van. They're going around. Oh, I that's what I hear. Okay, yeah, because I'm like... I'm watching Goblin's face, and he's hunting around for this sound. He's like, what I'm the fuck is that? I'm like, who left a ringtone on? <laughs> right? And I'm watching his face, and I'm like, yeah, I hear it too, bud. I can see it. I can well, see well, it in I, eyes. I've got the headphones on, so normally I'm hearing shit you guys can't hear, so. Yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> But, you know, that that's just some of the great things about the storytelling of a Goblin GM is ASMR. there's so many different ways to play it, but I think the good way we've found is to run with that, uh, you know, postmarker. <laughs> you know, you just set your postmarker, say, I want the road to end up here, and then go over there. And however they get through the miasma of what is, just is the way it goes. And, like, so we've, we've kind of touched on this a, f a few times. But freeform games have this advantage. Your players will contribute. It they will create has the as this option of doing that. Meanwhile, right. you have freeform games where as soon as they have the epic sword of awesomeness that allows them to fucking auto-crit every time, and then they just sit on it. Because they just like being the most powerful thing in the room and not using their power. I mean, or you have them all of a sudden go into a well. No, I can thumb wrestle better than you can. That's the problem with pure freeform power gaming. That's all it is—is is power gaming when it's that freeform. Yes, and it's it is that fine line. It's why you need that hybrid. You need that, you know, stricted or that scripted, you know, strict, structure. Yeah, that structure. Um, 
to counterbalance the, you know, ever-present dick-waving of power gaming. Also, curation of your group. Right. There's also another way to deal with power gamers, but it's not exactly legal. I find that about 10 inches of finely wound steel cable and two wooden dowels and a bit of anger go a long way in reducing someone's capacity to process oxygen. Typically, um, when applied forcefully for about four minutes, uh, that's that's a, a, a rule of thumb average there, but for about four minutes, usually they stop being disagreeable and become extremely pliant to suggestion. Oh, but you see, in D&D Modern, it only happens if you're within 10 feet. No, that's C4. <laughs> <laughs> no, no there, there does, uh, like Kaz is trying to point out, though, there needs to be an amount of structure to your game. And the problem I find with modules, and every time I've played a module except for one time, the structure has been so overwhelming that you understand that you're basically playing a pen and paper uh, video game. Yeah. Yeah, there's only certain choices you are allowed to make as according to the rules in the book. The game master is not exactly a game master. He's more of a referee. They're reading a script, basically, and you're just interacting with the script. And it's up to you to choose your own adventure within that script. And once you get to the conclusion, you know, basically you've made it through a choose your own adventure book without dying. It's... it's uh, it's not as fun as Freeform. It does have closure, yes. And running a module is hard. There are certain skill set you need to run a module and be effective. I have yet to encounter a GM in over two decades who's been able to keep me invested in a module. Except for, with possible exception... Uh, one of our former LGS uh, visitors who used to play uh, Game of Thrones, the board game with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember his name right off bat. Um, but the kid from Philadelphia. Uh, he would come into the LGS. He was really good at running modules, but he wasn't... He was like a college kid. He was 100% when he came in the door, dude. It was a party. He's like, woo, I got a six-pack in one hand and a D20 in the other. Who wants to fucking roleplay? Woo! Spring break! But once he bagged the girl, and he got into one of the, the, the rooms upstairs during the frat party, you know, he had his fun, and then after that, it's just, all the steam was gone. So you get about, like, a quarter into the module, and it went from super fun to, I'm gonna go home now. Woo, I'm not feeling good. I think I drank one beer too many. Spring break! I'm going home. So, yeah, so having some of that structure is good, and it takes a, a, a very different skill set to run a module effectively. And like I said, he started off the first quarter of the book great. Uh, he did the Carrion Crown Adventures. I was hooked. I love the way he ran those games. But at the same time, most freeform games that I get into, all you need is somebody who knows the game, they have an imagination, and can think on their feet, and you've got a pretty good start. Yeah. yeah. Now, just keeping that up the every week, every two weeks, every fucking once a month, you know, it, it's the whole thing of being able to continue the schedule. True. And that's the thing with the stories. You have to have it planned out, like you were saying. 
How many times are we going to meet up before they finally get to see the dragon? How many times are we going to get together before they find out that the bad guy just works for another guy? How long are we expected to gain just to find out that the MacGuffin we were going after doesn't exist? Oh, so you do talk shit about me behind my back. No. I knew it! I fucking knew it! <laughs> no, that's one. That's from one of the other games I've played. I was not the one who willingly kneeled in front of a fucking giant sealed obelisk door thingy and swore fealty to the big bad evil guy and looked the GM in the face and said, I had my fingers crossed behind my back the whole time. Doesn't matter. You recited the incantation. The evil is not only unleashed, but you are bound to it. And he's like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, you recanted and repeated what was written on the door, word for word. It happened. You, no take backsies. Once you make a speech. No tabaxi. No tabaxi. <laughs> you, no, you can't take back on this one. You said the words. It, this magic is, doesn't care about the position Magic of your other does hand. not care if you go Klaatu, Brada, inward. It was de- nickel, necktie, nectarine. No, magic doesn't care. Just saying. Just saying. What are you super saying? Yes, I'm super saying. <laughs> okay, uh, Galco. I can't even do it. I can't do it. Don't try. So, You're going to hurt yourself. I'm just going to turn into Cartman right now. Fuck you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> but before you go home, let's get into our wonderful... Lightning round. Oh, it's time for rapid fire. I got one to start off with. And I would like to point out to our Canadians sitting at the table here, your country has done fucked up. Again. <laughs> All hail Lord Blackface, King of the Canucks. Nope, not him. Oh, really? This shout out goes to the police force. That's right. Canada's Passive-aggressive, fucking gun-wielding... Moose-riding. Moose-riding, nicest, passive-aggressive bastards in funny red jackets you could ever meet. Yeah, they're all French. I I don't know... Like douchebag. No, it was not the RCMP. (laughs) I actually still have some respect for the RCMP. And I really don't want somebody riding through the wall of my apartment on a moose (laughs) and killing me with... Both agreeable kindness and maple syrup at the same time. So, to the RCMP, you guys are still cool. I'm laying off your guys. But to the police force, who decided to roll up on a young girl on May 4th. You know, May the 4th be with you. A young lady was dressed up as a stormtrooper. With an obviously plastic armor on. Obvious plastic blaster. And the cups had to pull weapons on her, and had to, is really stretching it. Okay, it's a plastic gun. Anybody within 21 feet should be able to see. It's a plastic fucking gun. Plus, she's dressed as a stormtrooper. Did they not hear about this thing called Star Wars in Canada? It's not that far from America. In fact, um, I could throw a rock right now and hit a Canadian. You wouldn't even have to throw it that hard. I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I got a couple rocks on the shelf over here. Dude, they're all over the place. They're like um, snowy cockroaches, okay? Just with nice manners, eh? But the, it's anyway, fake nice. The point is, 
for my rapid fire, I would like to give to the police officers who rolled up on a young woman dressed as a stormtrooper celebrating May 4th, Star Wars Day, decided to pull weapons on her, scream at her until she broke in tears, and actually, as of not too long ago, she wrote down on the internet that she's probably done with cosplaying because of this. So, obviously not the best of experiences, quite traumatic. To the police officers who decided to pull weapons on this young lady and make this happen, a big fuck you. Alright, fuck you in the neck with a piece of rusted barbed wire curled 90 degrees the wrong fucking direction. Okay? It's called cosplay. I am not the biggest fan of cosplay. But when somebody is dressed up like a stormtrooper, chances are, despite the fact you guys have come off the heels of one of the biggest shootings you've ever had, somebody dressed as a stormtrooper is probably not the first person to go into a murderous rampage, especially on May 4th. Pay the fuck attention to social media a little bit more than telling people to stay home, eh? Just saying. A big fuck you to the guys who ruined a young lady's afternoon and probably the rest of her cosplaying experiences knowing that if she ever puts on a costume and decides to show it off for friends and family again, the cops may next time not hold back on busting a cap in her fucking skull. Fuck you. Have a nice day, A. Eh? Now get it back a boot to it. Sensitivity training ass monkeys. That's me. I'm done. Moving on. Totally on board with that. However... My topic is not something uh, political, but more gaming. So I saw an article in PC Gamer about um, CD Projekt Red, and rather specifically Cyberpunk 2077. It got an R rating for the ESRB because you can customize your nads. Quite literally, you can customize genitalia, lack thereof, or anything in between. You can already do this on Conan. Yes, which is, it actually calls out Conan as like, this might be a, a something to compare to. Because it, because of that. Because, like, Conan's got a dong slider. And that's, that's about as far as it goes. And of course, Conan being Conan, everyone's gonna jack that right up because no. I'm playing a big muscly man. No, my my character's dong slider was really small, but you know what? They live in the frozen north. Yeah, and my character's makes... running around with basically a stack of Russian dimes in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. It was like a bunch of little like those little M and M's. Yeah. Instead of the full giant tube of M and M's, it was the mini M and M's. Yeah, it was cold outside. Yep, had to do it. Yeah. Did you just get out of the pool every time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. so you're a full Canadian size, gotcha. Well, about three times bigger than certain police officers up in Canada. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Probably. Now, other gaming news. Uh, Deep Rock Galactic re- releases its full 1.0 version in on the 12th or 13th of May this month. And Stellaris, on the other of those two days, updates to 2.72, which will do a lot of overhauls in that. So, those are both things I'm looking forward to. Alright, to end this lightning round, I'm going to go with the simple fact of... (laughs) Yes, because I speak from the balls. But, um... 
really it's it's the stuff that Nintendo is doing in gaming right now. They have been showing massive profits because they are just telling people, hey, if you're going to game fucking here, you know, you're seeing all kinds of sales, discounts, they're updating stuff. I've actually picked up my Switch again and started playing. Yes, it's the same three games I've got, but I haven't bought any games because I'm saving up. But they're doing a lot of stuff and a lot of outreach for all the stuff going on with people, you know, having to stay home, entertain, having limited, limited incomes and stuff. And I really like it. And you see it out there in the media where they're like Nintendo's doing this, they're doing that, they're gonna beat Sony with a wiffle ball bat, you know. It's a really nice thing to see a entertainment company that finally figured out how to make a goddamn console actually make some good turns in this, you know, shitty situation. And fuck Canada. Peace out. Alright, well, that is the Blunt Force Gamers this week. Hope you guys all learned something or were at least entertained. Uh, if you're interested in our podcast further, I'll uh, take it around with you. We are available on iTunes, Android, and pretty much anywhere, dude. If they, if they have an RSS feed, we're on there. You can just look us up. And, and you can also visit our website. You could visit our website. EFGamersHQ.com. Yeah, where Kazrakan does nothing. But that's where all of our archives are at. All of our episodes are on our website. Even the ones not available on Podbean and not available on YouTube, so... If you're interested in more or just terrorizing your friends with useless banter, there you go. Anyway, catch you next week. This is Game Goblin heading back to my lair. Kazakel, back to the skies. Darth Blasphemous signing off. I am so blue ball on fucking EA right now.